You're listening to The Life of Try. It's triathlon for your ears. We are back again for 2022. I'm Phil Rockner. I half the combination that steers this boat. The other man is uh, somebody who Justin Trudeau once called a really decent chap, and he is Kevin McKinnon. Kevin, welcome, my friend. <laughs> Since I've never met Justin Trudeau, and I'm pretty sure I, he wouldn't call me a pretty decent chap. I find that very funny. <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. How are you? After, uh, you know, I guess you've been sort of dealing with some non-fun stuff for a week. Yeah, well, 2022 decided to kick me fair in the nuts in the first uh, week and give me COVID. Now, I don't go anywhere, right? I'm not a social person. I don't like people. But I decided, Kevin, that I would go to uh, a New Year's Eve function, uh, you know, and there was a couple of people there. And one of those bastards was a COVID spreader. And so I inherited the COVIDs and um, it's, it's weird, you know, um, it's you, when you get it and you, you, you know, you see the positive in that and, and it's kind of like you're, you're walking through a maze and you're just waiting to see what trap door you're going to fall through because the symptoms are so varied. Now, you know, full disclosure, I did get vaccinated um, and the symptoms I had were mild in other words i didn't go to hospital but they weren't fun well it wasn't a fun time so i had um yeah it felt like my throat and my lungs had been cleaned with a wire brush so that was fun that was good fun Um, oh my goodness yeah that's um definitely not fun not good and uh glad that you are feeling better um and uh yeah just it'll make me you know you'll be even more sleepy than usual so it'll be easier for me to um you know just make fun of you no 100 percent. and i'm not even a napper like i don't nap ever but this thing knocked me flat on my ass i napped like a champion um and it was um you know it was hard to to just get out of bed so the grav the grav dream has been shelved for the moment because um I've done one ride in the last 14 days or 15 days. So, yeah, that's a bit disappointing. I mean, look, worse things can happen, boohoo to me. Um, but, um, yeah, if you're out there struggling with it, uh, hopefully it'll turn for you because the one thing, Kevin, that it did do is that when it sort of subsided, it you know, you kind of felt better in a day. You, you sort of you walk through that sort of river of poop and then you kind of felt better um, you know, a little bit more rapidly than, than say, coming out of a, uh, another illness. But anyway, it, it, like you said, it's done. And now apparently I have immunity for a few months. Um, or... And so does this mean you are able to play in the Australian Open? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, I know this has nothing to do with tennis, but I, I we're just talking a bit off air. And, and I, I must say the the Australian people were never united like we were against Novak Djokovic. It was like, dude, just leave, man. Like we've been locked down for two years. No one's been out to see family. No one's been given exemptions. You cannot waltz in here uh, and, and just get an exemption. So um, yeah, I think collectively I couldn't find anybody going, Oh, poor Novak, you know, or Novaks as everyone was calling him, um, you know, <laughs> 
uh, yeah, it, it's a, well, what a, a good shit one. Job. I hadn't, I hadn't even really thought of that one. Hey, here's the question for you. Mm. Um, trying to bring this back to triathlon as, as much that. as I can, even though I was the one who, I was the one who changed the, or brought that one up. How many, how what do you think the percentage of pros who aren't back pro triathletes who aren't vaccinated are? Yeah. I mean, I, I find it weird. I mean, I just think because if you're a traveling person, whether you're in business or you're in sport uh, or anything like that, I, I would have thought just an easier passage would be, um, you know, would be the just getting vaccinated. And I don't want to get involved in the anti-vax thing either. Cause it's not my, it's not my thing. I mean, you people, you do you, that's how I've operated. Um, but I would think just in ease of getting in and out of countries, especially like this one in ours where, um, you know, the, um, the, the, the rules are pretty cl- clearly laid out that it's a lot easier to move around in life if you are vaccinated. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, Kevin, it's an interesting one. I, I would have thought more people than not would have been. Um, and it's simply because you're trying to protect your livelihood. Like if you get this and go full whack, I can't imagine the recovery time, especially with this long COVID that we're hearing about and things like that. I can't imagine it's any good for any athlete um, to want to run the risk. I think if I was an athlete and they'd be saying, hey, you can have this vaccination, um, if you do get symptoms, they are mild, more mild than, than the full whack, you know, I don't know, I wouldn't take the option. Um, but again, I'm not passing judgment for any second on anyone who doesn't do that. That's, you know, yeah. But I, I did have someone the other day mention that they had done their own research. Uh, <laughs> Which I was just like, oh fuck, man, come on! Like, really? What what lab did you work in for? Six? I do find that funny. It's just funny. I find that funny. Well, yeah, and and I and this is not the venue for this conversation, mm-hmm. but I do. The false equivalency is really frustrating me that we feel this need to. Oh yeah, you know we we need to you know research where this idea is coming from of not getting vaccinated and stuff. And, and, you know, we'll, we'll bring on people who have no scientific background and who are, you know, expressing their beliefs and stuff versus bringing on all the scientists who say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. You need to do it because that's going to actually help everyone around you. But yeah. um, And that's what I figure too, Kevin. I just think, you know, it's more, it's like the mask thing too. Like I don't, I don't love wearing a mask. I'm actually going to the Australian open at some point in the next few days, I think. I generally go each year. Um, I don't even know. I don't even like. Ten- I don't even like tennis. I don't love it. But I, there's something about the Australian Open when you go there and it's just you know these amazing um, players just whacking the shit out of these tennis balls flat out. It's impressive. And if you wander around the outside courts, which is what I generally do, is just get a ground pass in that first week when you can see some really. I mean, if you're in a Grand Slam, you're obviously good. Um, but um you know oh man you see now i know even more why we don't get along right like my first sport was tennis that's i absolutely love the game and and yeah you know just walking tennis balls oh you've got to be good oh my goodness just ah you have no idea how envious i am that you have the ability to just go and check that out it's yeah uh, yeah it is fun though look and i i do i you know all jokes aside i i've been the last probably six years i reckon i've been every year um, and get a ground pass and just wander around just going, this is, uh, you've got to appreciate good sport. And I think, you know, most of us and people listening to this will probably be the same. You go, you know, 
if it's done right and properly, then it's awesome. I think, you know, it's like the Winter Olympics coming up. I know jack shit about anything in the Winter Olympics, but I'll be an expert in five minutes. I'll tell you how to land that triple axle, Kevin. Um, but uh, it, you, you just get the, like you watch really talented men and women doing awesome stuff. And it's just like, this is cool, you know, and the the tennis is, is certainly one. In fact, I, I, I was a, you know, I, I taught a kid who ended up playing in the Australian Open. Um, and that was amazing watching someone who you've seen, you know, uh, over that period of time when you when you've taught them grow up and then go out to be this, you know, ATP player and be this lord. Um, that's pretty cool too, you know. But back to your point and circling back to your point, I didn't hear anybody question when they ever get a tetanus shot, what's in it, or when they've had a polio shot, what's in it. You know, I I think there's so much rhetoric around this at the moment, um, and pros are going to have to be smart about this because it's clear that certain countries aren't going to let you in on exemptions. So, you know, what's the least point of resistance? And I guess, you know, Australia's not so much a destination. You know, Canada's certainly becoming one with the PTO coming online. Um, But Australia's not that big race destination. So maybe we won't have to explore that side of of the equation. Yeah, uh, certainly, but you know, I know I know there are pros who would love to get to Cairns for the um, for the Asia Pac Asia Pacific Championship, right? Yeah, I, it is in Cairns this year again, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm not sure if I'm I'm sure you're laughing at the way I'm pronouncing it. I've never oh, been able knows? to pronounce that place Kansas, properly. Kansas is weird as hell. You've been there. It's phew, wow, it's a weird joint. Um, I have not actually been to oh, really? Cairns. No, it's love weird. to get there. Yeah, like so, you've got the um, the backpackers next to the Louis Vuitton shop. Like it's weird, man. Like this is really weird juxtaposition of wealth and hippies. It's the dial up place, man. But uh, you you can go to Palm Cove and get a Coke for fourteen dollars, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What they do there, there's um on the on the ride when you go and cover the race, the um the local motorbike group runs a barbecue up on the, about halfway down the bike course. And it's, you know, the, the bike course is this scenic, most pristine road you've ever seen on this gorgeous beachside that, again, up there is amazing. Um, and it, I found it, first year I was there, I found it a bit confronting just sitting there, you know, eating a couple of sausages while athletes <laughs> rolled past me. But after about year two or three, I'd stand in the middle of the road just chowing down. So it was good. <laughs> Didn't feel bad at all, Kevin. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, it sounds like a normal race that we would be covering. I'd be running around working, trying to get photos and everything, and you'd be finding a local barbecue. Yeah, that sounds right. 100%. We were there one year, and remember Deli Carr, he's, um, his laptop blew up. We had that much rain, and the, the rain gods got into his laptop and blew up that, blew up his gear. I've never seen Deli more cranky, um, <laughs> and we've never had more fun poking shit at him when he was stuff was going wrong um, when that was happening. Um but yeah, it's a it's a wild place, um, Cairns. It's certainly it's certainly weird. Um, moving, I guess, into the twenty twenty two. Twenty one was obviously a, a good year. I mean, pre- with COVID and all the problems that we had, but twenty one was still, I reckon, for triathlon, it was a good year. I think they it solidified itself in certain markets. I think that certain races did well. We we talked a lot last year about how good Super League was. Um, we talked about how the PTO came on board and the, um, the Fredino v Sanders and then the Collins Cup came online. And, um, you know, I think triathlon, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think triathlon took some really, really good steps forward to reestablishing itself as a, you know, as a, um, it's never going to be a super pair in any, in, in the sporting landscape globally, but certainly, you know, it's foothold is, is being well and truly entrenched. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking about that, um, you know, sort of looking through, uh, the world triathlon site and, you know, they have a bunch of galleries from, you know, their photographers and, um, I, I just got me thinking, wow, it's, it's amazing how much triathlon was able to pack in last year, considering that, you know, it was a tough slog getting things started because of the, uh, because of the pandemic. Um, but yeah, you know, you look at, uh, the Collins cup came on, um, obviously the Olympics, they were able to, able to hold super league did their month long gig and, and were able to get all of those races going, um, 70.3 worlds happen. Yes, the, the Ironman World Championship didn't happen, but at least they got uh, the 70.3 worlds in St. George. Um, yeah, you know, and, and then obviously, you know, I, I have a feeling you're going to want to talk about some of the people to keep an eye on this year and all that stuff. And, and yeah. you know, the, the Norwegians, Gustav Eden and, and uh, Christian Blumenfeld certainly uh, sent a... Uh, a cannon shot to the world that you know hey watch out guys here we come and then um yeah you know same deal for lucy charles barkley what a what a season she had yeah and i think you've nailed the i mean there's a couple of things there in play that i i like the sound of and the first thing is and while we are talking about it the the norwegians are unstoppable right they from what i've heard from my uh sources uh of which they are vast spread amongst the uh, the triathlon world um, yeah. in other words, I'm just speculating. No, the, I, I, I thought school was out. So like your, your grade nine phys ed class, um, probably can't be telling you too much right now. So who else do you have? Well, that's right. Um, I, the, the Norwegians are, are on another level, right? In my book, they're on another level and they'll prove that this year. They will, I, I'm going to make a few fearless predictions, um, along the course of the next few minutes as well. So Kevin, I will invite you to also um, cast yourself into the abyss of foolishness and join me. Um, I think uh, we're going to see the Norwegians do shit that we've never seen before. That's what I think. I think we're, it's interesting. Blumenfeld in that sub seven, he will make a mess of that joint, right? He will make a, a mess of that race. Um, and by that, I mean, he's going to destroy it. Uh, and, I think we're going to see some really, really uh, fast, fast work. Um, I think we're going to see the Norwegians again run train on the 70.3 worlds. I don't think they can be beaten. Um, and then I think we'll see what happens in Kona as well. So I'm predicting just we're going to get tired of talking about Norway um, in the next little while. Um, the, the other thing too on the women's front is, as we said, Lucy Charles is 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 ready to go. I also want to see, you know, what happens with the this raft of British women who are dominating the sport, and you know how how they're going to make all this work. How does this work? So, um, I'm keen to see what happens too in that um, world triathlon circuit um, and what they get up to. Non Olympic years are good, I think, Kevin. Um, I'm not. I know like the Olympics is only a couple of years away, but I like non-Olympic years because it, there just seems to be normality around the sport. 
Um, yeah, well, and, and so one of the things I'm very interested to, to see is what Flora Duffy ends up doing. Like, you know, she's, she's on this um, world triathlon run, um, but, you know, can you imagine her potential over the 70.3 distance? Um, but if I'm Flora Duffy, why mess up with a good thing, right? Like, why not just keep running with this world triathlon thing um, for as long as I can? So, yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated to see where that, where she ends up going. Because, uh, yeah, she's the, right now, um, the only one who can, um, I don't know if compete, I beat that, that you know, raft of British women. Um, like you've got Flora and then you've got, it feels like four British women right after, you know, Katie Zafiris is in that mix as well, but who knows where she wants to go as well. Like, is she going to stick with the, um, the, the uh, Olympic distance mix or the draft legal stuff? Um, yeah. So some interesting stuff on that front. I'm not so sure. Can I just I'm stop you there quite... real quick, though? Um, if I, if you were advising Flora Duffy now, right? Like, if you're in her corner as her management team, what will your, what are you telling her? Whew. Yeah, I see. I, I, this is where I'm. I'm struggling. I'm walking up to Flora and saying, "Hey, what do you want to do? What what fires you up? Because that's what's way more important um, than than because you know she's been doing this for a long time." You know, she, uh, well, she went to the 2008 Olympics and I feel like she went to the 2006 Commonwealth. Like she went to the Commonwealth as a really young, um, you know, I'm not sure if she was still a junior, but if she wasn't, she was, you know, first year U23 type deal. Hmm. Um, She's been racing at this high level for a long time and, um, you know, enjoying, you know, her success really started uh, or just surged in 2016, you know, when she um, didn't have the Olympics, we sort of anticipated she might, uh, but then went on to, uh, like she won the uh, championship final or the grand final in Cozumel. And that's when she took her first um, world title. Um, And I know Gwen Jorgensen, it was interesting, like Gwen was not happy about the way that day turned out, you know, and I, I sort of get the feeling that um, um, I'm not, I, I've never been able to quite grasp was she annoyed that the people in the chase pack just weren't willing to work hard enough to get her close enough to be able to run, uh, run up to the front or um, was she just annoyed at seeing where, you know, where the sport was going. Anyway, it was, it was a very interesting day. Um but um, yeah, so since 2016, Flora Duffy, other than you know a couple of years of dealing with injuries, when she's been racing well, she's just just totally been on top. And so you kind of feel like, well, maybe she wants to keep running with that. Um, but you know, if she's at all bored with it, um, or at all sick of you know heading to a WTS races, which or WTCS World Triathlon Championship races. Um, and, you know, feeling this monstrous target on her back and, and sick of that, then she needs to move on and move up to 70.3. Um, but if she's still liking that vibe, then why on earth would she stop? Because um, she, uh, you know, she's dialed in. She's figured out that running thing. Uh, bikes with the best, swims with the best. Whew. 
uh, why not keep going for another year or two? Yeah, I think so too. It's taken us so long to get to that level. Um, it's, you know, and and clearly she's she's in a place then too where she's just got everything so well wired. I, I don't know if you'd want to upset that. I know like new athletic challenge is always there, but it's what Xterra's for for her, I would have thought too. You know, the fact that she can get off the tarmac and get onto some off-road with Xterra. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, then- I'm, the the other thing though is you know do you, to me it's always a, an interesting thing for um for you know folks like Flora folks like Jan Ferdano like I you know I just I thought for sure Jan Ferdano was retiring after 2019 like when I interviewed him after uh, winning Kona in 2019 he just set the course record he you know won that race for the third time I just assumed like he was going to tell me yep we're all done and he was like nope I will be back next year. Um, now, you know, COVID threw a wrench in all of that. Um, but I just thought to, it was the perfect way to go out, go out on top, go out, you know, without having to deal with the Gustav Edens and the Christian Blumenfelds coming up. But it's not like he's everybody. a punch-drunk fighter, though. He's not a punch-drunk fighter getting his ass whipped every time he goes and races. He's still, we saw with the, um, you know, the Battle Royale. Yeah, I mean, he's still far out. In the Collins Cup, he's still moving, right? So... You retired a long time, Kevin. Um, you know, and 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 Scott Tinley wrote that book, um, "Racing the Sunset." You know, and talked about that level of when you are retiring and how mentally it's a huge leap to to get off the the treadmill of professional sports. So, you know, I, I mean, I would like you know Peyton Manning has said, you know, is it playing to your suck? You know, like yeah, absolutely. Hey, and you know what? This is like, these guys are, they're champions. And so um, they kind of figure out, they figure this stuff out themselves, you know? And um, so, and that was the one thing I did want to mention. I'm not quite as ready to rule out Jan Ferdano competing with Blumenfeld and Aiden. Um, I sure wish it was five or six years ago because um, how much fun would it be to see um, you know, the Jan Ferdano setting the, uh, setting the course record or setting that, you know, quote unquote world record in growth in 2016, you know, that Jan Ferdano taking these guys on versus I think, you know, well, I think he's 40 now. Uh, does he turn 41 next August or something like, you know, it, it's pretty amazing what he is doing, um, continuing to race it at that level. And yes, I know Crowey, uh, well, Crowey won Kona at 38, right? Mm. Yeah, and um, Cam Brown still looks like he could run a 240 off the bike as well. Um, yeah, I the, the, so many athletes, uh, you know, these plus age athletes now um, who are really defying what we would see as normal. If you can remain injury-free, I don't see why you couldn't race consistently up until, you know, early 40s you know, more and go mid 40. You know, we're watching Tom Brady this morning. Oh, yesterday is a 43 or four year old, you know, still drop bombs and, and play at the highest level possible. So, you know, that's in a contact sport. If you're not getting, you know, pounded by 150 kilo gorillas every week, then you may have a chance to have longevity. And you as a coach, Kev, would know this better than I would, is that, you know, if you've got a uh, a proper program and we know the Fredino program is second to none I mean that dude's got it so well wired in it's ridiculous as he should 
Um, but you know why it's just preserving, isn't it? It's preserving and then and then you know doing the work that he knows that and and the experience that he's got over the career that is arguably um, you know one of the the better ones we've seen ever. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's just that you know when you when you bring in uh, Christian Blumenfeld and you bring in Gustav Eden. Um, into the mix it's that explosiveness it's that speed that they that they are bringing to the table and that's what Jan Frodeno brought to the table you know when he uh, when he first got into all of this stuff 2015 um, you know going to was he third at Frankfurt second or it's third in Frankfurt um, second in Kona or was it second and third Um, and you know that's I think I do think that you lose a little bit of that and you know, Jan talked about uh, that at the Collins Cup. Just um, he said he just did not feel like he had that that he'd been struggling to get the bottom end speed going, um, and that's why he you know was pretty sure he wasn't going to be in uh, racing the seventy point three worlds. Um, so that's that's the struggle, and you know these guys are running two thirty four, two thirty five. Um, at which Jan Frodeno has done 236 and wrote that one year. Um, so, you know, he has done it, but can he still do it at 4041? Yeah. Um, I definitely don't want to bet against him, but that's the, that's the challenge. And, you know, I, we, I, I don't want to come back to tennis, um, <laughs> but I've always wondered um, how cool it would have been if um, uh, Roger Federer had sort of been a few years later. So his prime sort of dialed right in next to Nadal and Djokovic's. Like, cause it's been pretty amazing seeing those guys for the last decade, um, all the stuff they've, they've done and they talk about it being this golden age of tennis and everything. Um, but, you know, Federer is like definitely the oldest of that group, right? And how cool would it have been for him to be at his total peak um, when at, at the same time as Djokovic and Nadal. And so we're, we're just going to miss that, I, I think. But, hey, Jan Frodeno, I, the last person I want to count out is Jan Frodeno. So, well, you've still got to um, win it too. You've still got to go to Kona and win it. Remember when Maka showed up to Kona and he was all, you know, remember yelling at the Germans, this shit's easy, and, you know, you guys are all a bunch of pillocks. And, you know, he ended up sitting in a banana lounge by mile 10. So, you know, I don't think he even made it to mile no, 10 in his first one. And his exact quote was, I'm the best triathlete in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's Macca, right? Because he beat his chest a lot. And, you know, um, him and I have often joked about him having a, being a boxer trapped in a triathlete's body. But the, the, the lesson or the moral to that story is that he's, you know, he was incredibly talented and, got his ass handed to him a number of times. So, you know, we've always talked about what does Kona bring and and why does Kona need to stay Kona and the world title needs to stay in Kona. And that's the reason. The reason is is that nobody on that dock at the very start of the day, nobody knows 100% sure about what the conditions, the pressure of the race is going to do to any athlete at any given point. Now you can say that about all races. I get that, 
But we know that Kona's like dog years. Everything's multiplied by seven. Everything's amplified. There's seven times the pressure. There's seven times the sponsors. There's seven times the media. There's seven times the engagement through socials, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. It is big. So, you know, and and not to say that, you know, our pals from Norway haven't seen the biggest and hardest races. You win Olympic gold medal, you're probably going pretty well. But at the same time, this is different. I just think there's something different. And we watched uh, Mark Allen struggle for years and we watched Welshy bend himself backwards trying to get this race done and we you know saw Macca repeatedly and Crowy come in and not fire the first time and you know it has a history this race of pulling people's pants down and this is the 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 mystique of why we still revere the race and why the triathlon world does not need to move on and Ironman does not need to move on on this because it's so hit and miss you know um and absolutely and one one of the dynamics you were talking about things i'm looking forward to so one of the things i am looking forward to is how saint george yeah changes that dynamic so um you know gustav eden christian blumenfeld they get to go to their first ironman world championship and not have to deal with a lot of the kona craziness yeah right and because my guess is i i just you know, I, I, as much as St. George is, St. George is going to be unique and everything, but all the way through, there's just going to be this, oh yeah, well, it's not Kona, right? Yeah. It's not Kona. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I spoke with um, uh, Kevin, what's Kevin's last name? Um, Kevin Lewis, who's the, you know, head of the, the tourism down there and sort of the man behind bringing uh, Iron Man to St. George. And he is 100% aware of that, right? He's like, yeah. Hey, we're never going to be going on. Um, but we're going to, you know, we're our own deal and we're going to do our best to put on a, a unique race. And that race, that course is going to be brutally tough in a very different way to the way Kona is brutally tough. Yeah. Like the actual bike course, like the bike and run courses um, are not like, you know, the altitude or the, you know, the elevation changes and all that stuff, they're not crazy in Kona. It's just when you add in the nutty wind, the nutty heat, and the, as you mentioned, all of the pressure, that just, you know, makes Kona so, so tough. Um, St. Well, George yeah. is going to be way, way tougher in terms of the course. Um, and will it be as tough in terms of the pressure and all that stuff? That I'm not sure of. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So I guess what I was sorry, and I know you want to get in. That's right. Um, so what I'm interested to see is, let's say uh, Gustav Eden or Christian Blumenfeld get their first world title in St. George. Well, once you've done it once, it's a little easier. You, you know, you can do all of this stuff. So they get to roll into Kona with a little bit of an easier time at some level. At some level, but it, and and look, the RD there, the race director, that's all he can do, right? Like your your St. George guy, all he can do is put on the best event that they can put on, but it's got a fucking big asterisk next to it, right? As they're rolling around, I've got a virtual asterisk put over all of it because it's not Kona. It's another race. It's not the same. Um, but you're right. It is a, you know, recognized as well, as well as we can as a, as a world title, um, but it's certainly not Kona and it's certainly not um, the same deal the same race it's just it, it it's just not but uh 
I still think that those boys, regardless of where they line up, it's still gonna they're still gonna un- unload on the on the rest of the field. Um, and it will be, as you said, I think it's an easier introduction to the into that sort of Ironman World Title. Um, but even talking about it now, um, it's still it'll pale. It'll just pale into anything that we've seen in Kona. And as you said, you know, like um, you could be standing there in T1 going, oh, it's pretty calm out here. And by the time you get to Harvey, you are, you know, hanging under the handlebars <laughs> for dear God life. You know, the, everything about it. It's just, it. you know, we don't have a lot of history in this sport. We just don't. We don't have a lot of history. Um, but that is the one constant. And and you look at the, you know, cycling and the Tour of Flanders and the uh, Paris-Roubaix and, you know, the Milan San Remos and those sorts of things, those big monuments to cycling that are still so, you know, Flesh Wallon, Gent Wevelgum, even those smaller sub ones, they're, they're so exciting. They're so exciting and they're so big and they're so steeped in history and the cobbles and the crowd and the shitty weather and the, you know, that sort of full-on um, attacking style of riding because they've got one day to make it work. That translates because it's got a history behind it as well. When they talk about, you know, all the many men and women who have gone before them and, and, and won those races. What makes it work in Hawaii is because you are able to sit down, you and I, and bullshit our way through this podcast and go, hey, remember way back then when we saw this, this and this, and it is got currency. You know, you start flicking the world title around everywhere and there's no background, there's no backstory, there's no do you remember when, there's no you know, underlining, um, oh, well, a few years ago, the weather was worse. There's none of that. So, yeah, it, it, what I'm looking forward to, Kevin, is seeing what happens in St. George, but seeing if we can get a freaking world title proper back to Kona and seeing what the world's going to give this sport and what that looks like and and what can the PTO do? What is the PTO going to do again this year? They, they've talked about expansion. They've talked about bringing on... Um, you know, this golf style of uh, new competition, you know, what are they going to do to continue the growth that they've got? They've got? And, and are we going to see that pivot? Are we going to see the content starting to roll out where, you know, that starts to become as big as the racing, you know, the stories behind it, you know, the Super League guys are what everyone needs to watch at the moment, in my opinion. Because they've got the idea that they've got a product, but spinning off that product is all the content that they're creating, the stories, you know, the human factor, the rivalries. The shit that they're spinning off right now, Kevin, to me is the benchmark of what's happening in the sport. And I think, you know, PTO is going to need to do something like that in order to build on the events that they're running. Um, so... Yeah, boy, I, I don't want to forget or uh, getting back to uh, St. George and Kona because there's something I need to bring in on that. But I do need to like what I, I'm sorry. I, have you not been reading anything? We know exactly what the PTO is doing. They've got a Canadian Open. They've got a U.S. Open. They're going to have an Asia Pac Open. They're going to have a Europe Open next year. But it's the um, level of what they're bringing is coming back. They've right? got a program that they're doing in May. We know exactly what they're doing. They're spending insane amounts of money. Um, creating content that um, I would argue is every bit as good as what Super League is doing. Um, they're focused on long distance athletes. Super League is focused on um, 
you know, the, the short distance folks and, and the people who are doing cra- their, their crazy mix of events. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we know exactly what the PTO is doing. Um, I, I just come back to the, the big challenge for both of these guys is making it, you know, making money from the events. But that's which... the content side of it, though, Kevin. That's when you start building. I mean, look at Red Bull. Look at GoPro. Starting out as a tech company and as an energy, energy drink company, and all of a sudden they're spinning off into doing completely wild shit all the time. And they've moved not away from their core business because it's still there. But it's all the content around that. It's that implied marketing that's not you're not sitting there saying, hey, you know, um, drink a Red Bull. You're not doing that. You're just watching cool people doing cool shit and you're associating that with the product. And that's where PTO, I think, are heading. Um, the racing becomes not secondary, but it doesn't have as great a pull from a finance point of view if you can sell off content. Yep, which I, I totally hear you. Um, you and I are both triathletes. And if you talk to our kids, we are the uncoolest people on the planet. Yeah, yeah, 100%. How so do you, this how is, do you for me, the challenge out? is the, the, or the, you know, the difficulty is, um, you know, are, are, like, are, are you going to get the same draw uh, compared to a Red Bull, you know, one of their skiing videos or, you know, some of that stuff. I, I hope, I hope that you're right. I hope that, and I hope the PTO is right. I hope that drives, um, that I'm just asking that question. Yeah. And is, it's a good one. Is it's that going one. to be enough of a drive? And that's, I am not sure of that. Um, but Hey, if I was smart, like, uh, the folks from the PTO, um, and Super League and, you know, all of these billionaires who are backing them, then I would have started my own Red Bull or something like that. So yeah. um, I, I, I'm just, I am dying to see how that all works. And I, and I hope that it does. Yeah, I th- look, and I think that they're, they're in the right frame, right? They're in the right frame. They're putting on, they're getting it right. They're, they're getting the fact that you cannot just stick three pros in a race and expect it to work like the old Ironman model. You know, when you used to go to a, an Ironman and want to sit there and, you know, jump out of the, the tower that you were commentating on because there were three male pros and one or two women pros. And it was just, just really crappy, not pro material stuff at all. So the first thing they, they, they need to do is, you know, figure out a way as to who's qualifying for what, make it properly professional, and then stack as many of the top men and women against each other as often as they can uh, like the Super League guys, because it is a repeatable distance. And if you can't make a repeatable distance, you make events that are have got enough content and enough pull around them that it is compelling. And that's the story, the story of the athletes. They're the story. So the pro athletes are uh, building narrative around them uh, and and people want those short. And, and it, none of this is new. None of this, they're not reinventing the wheel. They're just capitalizing on the, the athletic um, collateral that they have. Like none of this is new. You know, I remember Lance Armstrong in 2003 making a film, 21 Days to Paris. You know, he did a whole bunch of stuff of him at the classics, right? And that was awesome because it was behind the scenes kind of stuff. And it was a really good look at the writers and him and, and that kind of stuff. Now, you know, I'm not talking about what he got up to post or anything like that, but it, the, the what they put and what they produced. And that was Nike, I believe, putting that together. So this is not new. 
and none of this is. But if you don't look at your assets, and by assets I'm talking about the professional athletes, you don't try and capitalize and cash in on their story, you're probably doing your racing and your organization injustice. And I think that's what they're starting to get to. Of course, the Super League guys have already started doing that. Um, And if you check on their website, they've got full of it. It's full of it and only getting more. Um, And that's what eventually um, PTOs heading into the same space. And the PTO has a blank check, Kevin, because all the athletes are racing. The athletes that they have are the best ever. So you've got to figure out how you then turn that into content that someone who might not be a triathlete will take a look at. How do you cool it up? It's a million-dollar question, literally. How do you make triathlon cool? Yep. Hey, and that's – yeah, and I, I think, as you say, they're, they're, I, th- I feel like both of them are, both Super League and PTO, are putting together some really cool content yep. um, and, and getting that stuff out. Um, but, you know, I, I still, you know, I, I'm still yet to see these huge endemic or non-endemic uh, sponsors come on board. Um, and... Uh, you know, that to me is what's going to make or break it, right? When you, can't you start go to, seeing that stuff. You can't go to a sponsor with hot air, right? You can't sort of turn up yeah. to whoever it is to and just go, hey, how about you sponsor us? Well, what are you doing? Well, this is what our plans are. They don't want to see that. They want to see what the community looks like, what the engagement looks like, and what you've got already so that you can sell them that. And I think that's probably where they are at the moment. I know that Super League has got funding again for another couple of years. So they're kind of almost secure in their funding um, that they're rolling out. So that's a positive for, for those athletes who get hired by Super League to be part of that. Um, but what they're doing, I would imagine, Kevin, is building this sort of um, this understanding of what they're doing. And the PTO is yeah. very much in that. Uh, very and much- the PTO, the, ru- the rumor is the PTO just secured a bunch more funding as well. So, yeah, yeah it, it's amazing how the, the two organizations are running parallel one with shorter course athletes one with long distance athletes which is great right and and so you know to me they're both nailing down their niche um which is great i just and as i say i am all for it i hope that this uh that they are um bang on it just to me uh you know i still don't buy that we're you know the pto is getting into age group racing solely so that they can share the experience with you know the uh, with age group athletes uh, to me there's you know there is a desire to make money uh to help augment the money for, on that front because they're spending crazy amounts of money um on the production and on the pros and all that kind of stuff and they're trying to recoup some of that yeah and that um, that makes sense to me too but also think about you know in the years gone by triathlete triathlon the sport was run by do-gooders, right? Run by people who knew a little bit about the sport and put their hand up and got paid two-thirds of fuck all to run the sport, right? Um, they gave them a burrito and a handshake at the end of the day. And what you well, get... It's the, you- same, it's the same salary scale that uh, journal, the triathlon <laughs> journalists want. <laughs> That's exactly right. They got double what we got. But again... You know, it's and but now, like the people of the caliber of Sam Renouf running the PTO, or you know, Chris McCormack getting around uh, Michael Dalston, those guys getting around those guys, um, people, they're, they're bringing in very savvy people, um, a lot more with a lot more commercial uh, and corporate clout 
than they have been. And that's the difference. The difference is that these aren't, and we've said this time and time again on this podcast, is that there's a lot smarter people in the room than us, which wouldn't be hard. But uh, at the same time, if you don't get good corporate people around you with a proper strategic plan as to how this is going to roll out, not just for a season, but year on year, then you're dreaming and shit doesn't get hap- doesn't happen, doesn't move forward, nothing happens, right? You stagnate and then you die. And I honestly believe if they hadn't have got the likes of those people involved, both of those entities would have fizzled out and, and just caved. But instead, they got away from the do-gooders. They got away from those who don't really have, who have some idea, but not a lot. They hired specific people to do specific jobs corporately in order to get the best result. That's, you know, what I think that has been one of the quantum shifts. And I was talking to a race director the other day and he was telling me about his three or four year plan for the race. And it was unlike any conversation that I'd had for a while with a race director who is clearly targeting his race to be this, this and that, you know, had very specific goals as to where he wanted to get his race to. And that was in participatory mode, that was in corporate relationships, that was in what he was building. You don't get that, well, that's starting to move off, I should say. You know, the do-gooders are starting to be flushed out of the sport. And I say that with the nicest intent. It just seems to, you know, if you want to get the big names as you talked about, Kevin, you've got to have the right people on board to hunt for them. Yeah, and I guess um, I totally hear you there. I guess I would argue Iron Man has kind of been working in that direction since uh, since Providence came on board and bought them. Was that two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine? Um, and you know, have we seen a whole lot of difference now? Um, I, I'm not sure as I say that that that's a fair argument because. Iron Man's business model is very different. It's completely based on the age groupers. 100%. And I don't so, give a shit about the pros. So, um, yeah. And so they're, uh, you know, and and their, their big thing is we're going to just keep going and getting uh, crazy amounts of money from these tourism places to bring athletes to the races. So this is why they've got new race in Norway and new race in Greece, a uh, new event in Poland, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, different model. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, cause they've got Ironman's got a lot of money to make up over the next couple of years, but they've got new owners who um, have said that they're in it for the long haul and, and are ready to, uh, to bear with it. So it'll be fun to see how all of that plays out as well. So yeah, interesting dynamics right now in the sport. I want to make sure I say this one thing about St. George. Um, so yes, you're kind of going asterisks and all that stuff, Hmm. but Hey, if you're an athlete like Lionel Sanders, who has had huge success in St. George, um, other than the one time coming second in Kona has sort of struggled in the heat, um, in Kona and stuff. Um, St. George would be like, this is your, maybe not one and only chance, but this is your big chance to get that world title. And he's not the only one there, you know, there's a bunch of athletes for whom, um, you know, Kona just doesn't work in terms of the heat and humidity and stuff. So I think it'll be really fun to watch and see some of those people who realize, 
yeah, I got to go all in for this sucker because this could be my one chance to get a world title. Yeah, I look, I agree. And, and look, it's probably being a bit harsh calling it. It's an asterisk race, but um, you're right. It's going to open up the the possibility for um, athletes like Sanders um, to to get the W on uh, on a world title, and and that can only be and good possibly. For and you know, and and I know um, I know Alistair Brownlee did win in Rio, um, hot and humid. Uh, but you know, traditionally, he hasn't been a, a great hot and humid person. Uh, he didn't have a great run at his first go in um, in Kona in 2019. Um, so there's another athlete um, who has won in St. George, and for whom those kind of conditions could uh, could do well. So um, you know, that, that's where I think it's going to be fine. You've got you know this this Norwegian wave and. You know, everyone's like, oh, just hand the race to Christian and, and Gustav because those guys are killing everyone. But you gotta, you're gotta, you going to have a ton of very motivated people who are um, going to love the fact that Gustav and Christian are getting all the pressure and uh, they get to cruise in and do their thing. Yeah, and that's what we love about sport in general, you know, is that except for the world triathlon when they don't, they don't do single day world championships anymore. Oh. Uh, what the seriously? So, and formula one, uh, formula one. And what else do we have? Um, I yeah, don't I, I th- care, Kevin. I don't care. I want to see a single day world title where I'm sitting down. There are 50 dudes. There are 50 women. And I'm going, I don't know who's going to win this shit. I'm all over it rather than six people can possibly win this. This is a thrilling day. Boring. Um, uh, well, it, it is sort of fun to be sitting out on that race course and running through all the con- <laughs> different. Not like, remember Peter Robinson, three world titles. One he got picked in the team fourteen days prior or something. Those stories don't exist anymore because it's also. <laughs> sorry. Well, and hey, hold it. So you're a Tour de France, uh, Tour de France uh, person. Yeah. yeah. Um, it seems to me that's uh, there's 21 or 22 days that decide that. But that's Doesn't all come point. down. And you can actually that... win the Tour de France, and you can win the Tour de France and not even win a single stage. Yeah, that's riding smart. But every person on that start line can win the Tour in theory. Practically, well, probably not, but in theory. See, at the World Triathlon, they all line up and it's like three kooks can win it. And everyone else is kind of like just rolling around. I mean, but with every single person at the first race of the year can win the world title. No, we're talking about out, instead of being spread out over one month, it's spread out over eight. No, it doesn't work, mate. It doesn't work. It's the most <laughs> boring last day of racing. I don't care what they say. Hey, it's just, it's, yeah. I'm sorry. Have you watched when they're drinking champagne as yeah. they're driving, as they're riding into the Champs-Élysées um, in the Tour de France? Like that, how is that exciting? Kevin, your argument is falling down. You're looking, you're looking a little, little, little clownish at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking clueless. I'm bringing up great points yeah. over your beloved cycling. And I'm just the saying, thing that's making you laugh I want to is say- I love the tour and all of the cycling stuff as well. But I'm just trying to play devil's advocate right. here. I'm just saying, slappy Canadian, that you it, it is of no fun when you stand there at a at a um, versus watching a race where 
you anybody can win. And I think that the world triathlon needs to get back to the single day world title because, hey, guess what? The Olympic Games is a single race. So if you if your your number one thing in that sport or in that version of the sport, I should say, world triathlon is the Olympics, then mirror it for your world title. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Like when you watch the Olympic road race as well, on the on the you've got no idea who's going to win. It's exciting. You've got the dudes from Guatemala who get off at the front and they spend three or four laps out the front, and then everyone, all the big hitters, come in and take over. But you still don't have a clue about who's going to win. Likewise. You know, your biggest race of the cycle is the Olympic Games. So why do they not mirror that with their... Well, Phil, you totally know the answer to why they don't mirror that. They're trying to sell to a bunch of cities the fact that we're going to bring in all the best athletes um, to your events. But they still can. So if if everyone can just go to the world's, um, for their world championship, then that that's they're not going to be able to sell that. So but they wouldn't. If you say to them, you've got to do four thing. races. Say here's four races on the calendar. You've got to do all those four races to tick the box to make sure that you're set for a world title tilt. They'd still get really good fields. It's not hard. You just hate the sport of triathlon. That's what you do. Well, I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I'm getting all punchy. Oh my now. goodness. Oh, you just, my head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. So yeah, Phil, I think, I think you are, you know, full well why they do it. And both of us can agree that, yeah, it would be a heck of a lot more fun if it was all down to one day. Um, but yeah, you know, this is, this is the way it is. You love super league. Um, and but that was four weeks in a row. Yeah, but on every single race that you watch in Super League, it's it's you still don't know who's going to get that get that win. I just I think for the grand final, it's not it's not a great concept. And I think the you know not knowing at the Olympic Games, like not knowing what Blumenthal was going to do in that Olympic race, but when he goes out and does it in a grand final he won't be the world champion because he might not have had enough points or he's still behind. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it just loses its punch. It's not as cool. At oh, all. And, and Hey, you, you could tell that, um, you know, um, uh, Flora Duffy, she really wanted that win in Edmonton, right. Could to do the same as Christian because Christian like won the world title, but he also won that, that grand final. And that mm. you, you could tell that, that Flora was kind of feeling the same way, you know, just unfortunately Taylor Nib just knocked one out of the ballpark that day. Um, but you know, and, and I think Flora is like, Hey, <laughs> like I got the Olympic title, I got the world title. I'm really not going to sit here and complain too much, but um, so, yeah, I think the athletes feel that way as well, but at the end of the day, um, they're going to take the world title you know, if that's what's, you know, if, if that's the way you've got to play the game and do all of that stuff, mm. uh, for sure. And you could see, you know, in the tour when uh, Tour de France, you, you can tell when, like, the overall winners, they, they want to win a stage at some point, right? Yeah. Like, as it, it does feel kind of flat if you win the tour and you, you haven't won a stage. Um, no, that's right. And generally, you know, generally they find a stage that they, they, they do get the win in and it does make sense. But um, I, I'm a hopeless uh, romantic when it comes to single day racing and, and just the hype of what you could do with a who the hell is going to win kind of scenario versus, well, three people can win the grand final. It just, it's just, 
I know they listen a lot to the World <laughs> Triathlon like, people, so, so listen funny. up. I'm, I'm a hopeless romantic on single-day racing, but I love watching 24 days of the Tour de France. Oh, man, that's the best thing ever. You just sit around, especially in a July. single-month racing. Oh, single-month racing is the same as single-day racing. Okay, single we got it. It's the greatest ever. You need to get behind it, Kevin. Stop being a hater, Kevin. Stop being a hater. You uh, Canadians and your bloody dour, you know, it's like talking to a... Anyway. Um at fifty-five minutes, I reckon we've clocked. I reckon we've clocked it, mate. <laughs> I did say prior to you, we, we'll do a half an hour one. This has gone way long, but I've enjoyed it as per usual. Uh, Kevin, we are going to roll this puppy out uh, most weeks when we can find the energy to do it. Uh, if you're listening to us, tell your friends that uh, the life of tries back. Um, tell them to get a listen. If you've got any feedback, if you think we're doing a great job, let us know. Give us a rating on the iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Um, if you've got any suggestions for us, we can be found on the Twitter. I'm at Phil Rockner and Kevin is at Mac Attack Dad. Uh, or you can find Kevin at the most beautiful place, uh, Triathlon Magazine in Canada, uh, where he is producing some work that makes people's hair stand on the back of their neck. He is a glorious writer for this sport, is our man, Kevin. Thank you for your time, my friend. Hey, thanks so much, Phil. And great that you are feeling better. And, uh, we're back rolling with the life of try. I love it. Nice one. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, enjoy and uh, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the life of try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at the life of try. <laughs>